Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast, the show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the election coverage episode special on The Francisca Show. Today is a really different kind of episode where we will have representatives of both the conservative views and the democratic or... Um, yeah, the progressive views. And we will really dive into certain topics and try to keep this conversation data driven. And the reason I'm doing this episode is, well, if you follow this podcast, and you know what I'm about, then I'm all about giving a voice to anyone who feels like they cannot speak. And I feel like for something that I stand for, which is Jewish women in the arts and entertainment or survivors of abuse uh, that we talk about consistently on this podcast, I feel through the elections that people have definitely felt silenced, whether they were in the minority in bigger communities and they were voting differently and it alienated them from their communities or their families. And this is a conversation to really bring a voice to both sides to really talk about the data and what's going on. And I hope for myself, I will stay neutral through the, throughout this episode, but I hope for myself this will help me get through this whole elephant in the room situation going on through in the world because I feel like I can't move on with talking about my business because this is consuming me. So uh, we will proceed with this episode. We have our two guests here. We'll start with our, our Democratic representative, Ray Robinson, who is the host of the Unsensitive podcast. And we have small business owner and capitalist, SD Goldschmidt, who has been on this episode before talking about her business and her top business tips for artists. So definitely check out that episode. And we will proceed with this episode, and I am so grateful and thankful to be doing this today. So thank you for making this happen on such short notice, and we'll get started. So we are five days post-elections. Where do we stand? There are a number of swing states that have or have not called races the night of. Do you think it is clear who won these states? And I'll name them, the Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. And is this election called? or far from over. So we'll start with Ray. Sure. The mic is yours. Oh, uh, yes. Um, uh, mathematically, I would have to say that uh, that it's, it is pretty much over but the shouting at this point. Uh, Biden has pulled ahead in pretty much all those uh, states. Uh, have they gotten to 100% yet? They have not. Uh, but they're uh, at, there's going to be very, very few avenues that uh, Donald Trump has to mathematically pull ahead with the votes being counted as they are. Um, I know that, uh, that uh, Mr. Trump is uh, planning on filing many lawsuits uh, beginning tomorrow, according to Rudy Giuliani, uh, to contest a lot of those election results. And uh, I, I kind of encourage that, actually, uh, because I, I want to make sure that the, the election was concluded completely, fairly, and, uh, and everybody's votes uh, are accounted for. And we discover whether or not there really is any kind of election fraud that has has taken place. Um, at, uh, but however, mathematically, if nothing can be proven, it's pretty much a done deal at this point. Uh, there is a lot of folks that are saying that 
that there may be a chance that uh, Donald Trump could try to uh, reverse some of the electoral college uh, votes. Uh, the, the, the chances of that are very, very slim. I had a friend that actually put together the math on uh, electoral college voters that are what, we, uh, what you could call faithless electors. They're not uh, sworn to absolutely go with their state in how they, uh, how they vote. And uh, the ones that are, about uh, 29 states, anybody that has to vote along the lines of what their state has done. Uh, the rest of them, though, they're, they're considered faithless, uh, which means they have the option of changing their mind if they want. And uh, the way that it's standing right now, if everybody votes uh, as expected, there's a 44 percent or I'm sorry, a 44 vote difference between what uh, Biden has and Trump has that he would that Trump would have to take from Biden to go to Trump. If uh, if Trump can uh, convince 44 people to change their allegiance, I'll be stunned. So I don't think that'll happen either. Uh, Donald Trump's only avenue of approach here does kind of boil down to uh, any lawsuits that either forego the inauguration on uh, January 20th or getting it to the Supreme Court and having him, having the, the court rule in his favor there. Uh, but I think it's going to be very, very hard-pressed for the Supreme Court, even if it is more conservative now, to go against the will of the people. And he'd have to make a very strong mm -hmm. case that the will of the people was not met. Right. Okay, same question for you, Esty. Thank you, Ray. Well, first of all, I just want to say it's an honor to be on your podcast once again, especially representing the conservative point of view. I don't know if many conservatives would feel comfortable with me representing them, but I will do my best. Uh, just for a little bit of background, I was not a Trump supporter in 2016. In fact, I cried when I heard Hillary's concession speech. That being said, I've come a very long way and spent, I would say, the last two and a half years really, you know, in the Trump camp, very supportive, primarily of his policies and the results he's been producing. I think even with COVID, which has come under a lot of criticism, objectively speaking, he has done extremely well. And I was more than happy to cast my vote for him. It's actually the first time I cast my vote in a U.S. election. I grew up in Russia, for those who don't know, where we have a very different approach to elections. And we know who's going to win way before the election. <laughs> uh, the percentage doesn't really matter. So that being said, I do think I'm more of a skeptic. When I hear that there's a potential for fraud, you know, I'm always more open to investigation than someone who just has an underlying belief that elections are free and not manipulated. So that's for a little bit of background. Then, Ray, first of all, nice to speak with you. Uh, I'm very happy to hear you say that you want to hear that the that the election has been fair and not tampered with because, you know, I would like to see more people on the left saying that because the reality is, is that uh, elections are part of the cornerstone of the United States of America and and the integrity of the election should be concerning everyone, no matter who you voted for, because even if there was fraud or there wasn't fraud and the result of this election is what it is. Uh, there's no guarantee that the next election, election will support whoever the people vote for if there's no verification that this time the people who voted uh, actually had their votes accurately represented in the vote count that was later established. Okay, now with that being said as a background, and the reason I'm breathing, <laughs> breathing heavily is because I am pregnant, so still accommodating to my changes, but I'd just like to put the facts down. 
So Joe Biden is not the president-elect until the Electoral College has cast their votes. That happens on December 14th, 2020, and the votes have been certified, and that's on December 23rd, 2020. So that's even if there was no concern about election fraud and there was no disputing about potential voter fraud or election fraud. Just because the media, the Associated Press, calls an election for someone and just because foreign leaders call or post tweets congratulating quote-unquote president-elect, that doesn't actually certify a president-elect as a president-elect. And with that being said, with the numbers that are being put forward currently in the media, is Biden leading? 100%. The The question is, are those numbers real? And with that being said, I'd like to speak about the four big issues that are on the table that are concerning Americans uh, and people, you know, worldwide regarding the integrity of this election. So you preempted me. The next question would be, do you think there was voter fraud? Yes or no. And please support. Right. That's what you're about to answer. Uh, That's what I was about to speak with. Do you want Ray? Do you want to go first? Ray, would you like to go first? Oh, no, you you started. uh, I'll let you continue. You're on a roll. Go for it. (laughs) Okay. so do you think there was voter fraud? Yes or no? And please support. So if this is a question of whether I think 100 percent, I think. If the question is, was there election fraud? We will find out. I, I do trust the Supreme Court, and I do trust the courts in this country uh, to examine the evidence um, to its fullest. I think if there's any legal team that could put forth a good case and get to the bottom of issues, I think it is a legal team headed by Rudy Giuliani, who was able to get rid of the mafia, which has been rampant in New York. There's actually a a wonderful movie on Netflix about it called Fear City. Uh, Highly recommend that people watch it. Um, I, I, I think he doesn't take anything for granted and he knows what people are capable of. So, and, and I just, before I go into the issues of fraud, I would want to say there, there are officials across the United States. I'm right now residing in the state of New Jersey. There are two officials from New Jersey who are sitting in prison for voter fraud. Uh, it's something that happens. Um, and I'm sure it has happened before. But I'm not sure it's something that has been pursued and prosecuted on a large scale. And I think uh, this might be the opportunity. So let's, let's go through some of the big cons- concerns and allegations. The first one is invalid votes. And what goes into there are dead people who voted, non-residents who voted, people who voted twice, and ballots that were received after the election. And there's also the issue of tour ballots. What's that? A few different things, but... Basically, if a uh, if a ballot is invalid um, because either another tool was used or the signature can't be verified, so in and every state has different laws with regard to this. But some states have someone transcribing the ballot onto a new ballot and then putting it through the count machine. In some states, those votes are not uh, those ballots are not valid, and then they have to be thrown out. But if they're cured. If, if someone makes it right and then counts it, that's a ballot that shouldn't have been counted, but that is counted. So in all the states, if a dead person voted, or if there's a, a ballot that came in from a dead person, uh, of course, when it comes to the counting um, and the verification, that ballot should be discarded. 
And in this election, there's a big question of has this happened or has this not happened? And I'm going to get into the numbers shortly. I just want to go through all the issues. The second big issue is computer glitching. And even though this isn't, there aren't, I haven't heard of a big law case, uh, lawsuit um, on this one coming yet. I do think this is very, very big and very important and very concerning to the American people. Um, the two things that people should know here um, are Hammer and Scorecard and Dominion voting systems. So I see Ray nodding. Uh, Dominion voting systems is software election. That's the machines and the cartridges that um, a lot of the states, Michigan used it in 47 counties, Pennsylvania used it, Georgia used it, um, that was used to uh, process the votes. In Dominion voting systems tried to sell their systems to Texas three different times between 2012 and January 2020. And Texas rejected them all three times, saying there were serious concerns about potential security breaches. Um, and they rejected the systems. Now, in April, on April 24th, 2020, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article um, called Why a Data Security Expert Fears U.S. Voting Will Be Hacked. And I'm going to read you a quote um, about Dominion Voting Systems. The person says, by modifying just a few lines of code on the machine's memory card, Mr. Hertz, he says, he could change the results of a mock election. That same model, he adds, will be among those used in the 2020 election. A spokesperson for the machine's vendor, Dominion Voting, says that these weaknesses were fixed in 2012, but Mr. Hertz, he says that he has tested the new version and found the updates insufficient. So there have been concerns with the systems before, and the reason I think this is a huge issue is because mail-in ballots might be prohibited moving on. It might be it might be said, you know, this is too much of an issue, there's too much room for fraud, or the system might be changed. But if the computers that are counting our machines can't be trusted, to, it's, that are counting our ballots can't be trusted to count our ballots accurately, that means that you cannot trust the result of any count of any election. And that's a huge concern, regardless of what you think. And then Hammer and Scorecard is the actual virus that was injected. So in Antrim County in Michigan, there was a case on one of those Dominion um, uh, machines where 6,000 votes that were Trump votes actually were um, cast as Biden votes by the machine. So the virus, so they said it was a computer glitch initially on November 5th, but it's, it's a system that was actually developed by the NSA and then deployed by the CIA to hack elections abroad um, so this is all going to be investigating, but if this is true, this is an American weapon being used against American voters. And I think this is a bigger story, um, than, than any other story here. Then the next issue, which is also large because, um, because this is the lawsuit that's being filed tomorrow is the issue of observers and poll watchers. Uh, th this is being headed and the big, the first big case is being filed in Pennsylvania with Rudy Giuliani, who we spoke about, and Pam Bondi, Pam Bondi, who's also a cool woman, which I like, but she's the former general attorney of Florida. And the big, the big concern here is that, um, for sure, 350,000 ballots, but probably closer to 600,000 ballots, were processed without 
um, Republican GOP observers being able to meaningfully observe the ballots. And this, this has been very big in Pennsylvania, very similar stories in Michigan, in Nevada, in Arizona. Um, and I mean, I, I, I saw videos, I read accounts of, of how GOP poll watchers were treated um, and they got the court involved. Um, the court ruled that uh, the GOP watchers should be able to stand closer than 15 feet away. So they allowed the, G the GOP watchers to stand closer, but they moved the machines, ten the voting machine counters, 20 feet back. So they still weren't able to see anything and to observe anything. And I mean, the whole idea of how mail-in ballots, because they're so prone to, to fraud, should be uh, open is that there's a table with the counter. On one side is a Democratic poll watcher, on the other side is a Republican poll watcher. Both of them look, they compare the signature, the address, they, they check the name with the book. If there's an issue, any one of them could challenge. If it's challenged, it goes into a different pile. Uh, if it's not challenged, it goes into the counting machine. So in this case of at least 350,000 uh, ballots where they already have poll watchers who have sworn in affidavits who are ready to uh, give witness in court, um, there, there has been not a single ballot that has been uh, observed meaningfully, challenged, or discarded. So, I mean, th this is a very big case. He's leading by less than 50,000. Biden currently in Pennsylvania is leading by less than 50,000 votes. If we're talking about throwing out 350,000 or 600,000 ballots, that's those those numbers are game changers. My my personal big question. Okay, who cares about personal big question? <laughs> Let's get <laughs> Another big thing is the USPS backdating at this point, and this was a couple of hours ago, I haven't looked up yet. Uh, there are four whistleblowers from the USPS uh, stating that there has been a mandate from above to backdate ballots collected after November 3rd as November 3rd um, ballots. Uh, one of them has already sworn in an affidavit and is ready to, um, to serve as a witness in court. Um, according to an article in the Seattle Times today, there are 150,000 ballots that were collected after election day. I'm not sure if the 150,000 include uh, those that were backdated or doesn't, but the Supreme Court Justice Alito issued um, a letter requiring Pennsylvania to set those ballots aside. And so far, Pennsylvania, in terms of the polls, they have been very flagrantly disregarding court or both from the Supreme Court and from the Court of Pennsylvania. And then the final thing is that there are a lot of numbers that don't make sense. So the night of the election, after everyone went to sleep, and I guess, you know, the, the night between November 3rd and November 4th, um, there were surprise gains in Michigan and in Wisconsin where the numbers of Trump voters didn't shift by a digit, literally, like he had you know, 4 million, I'm making this up, 330,092 votes, that number remained the same. And then Biden made a climb of 150,000 votes. Um, so, you know, in Michigan, they said this was a counting error. Someone forgot to carry the one, like, what are they counting this by paper? Um, and then they said they corrected this issue. Okay, but if it wasn't caught, would it have been corrected? These are big things. And these aren't 20 votes. These aren't 100 votes. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of votes. Uh, all of these things have to be investigated. Um, 
tabulated correctly. And I think there are already recounts um, in Michigan, in Georgia, that are going to happen, not even recounts that Trump has to pay for, but because the margin is so small. But I don't think recounts are enough because there, there's such an issue of integrity and are these ballots real, um, that there has to be a real audit. Um, okay, so that's a let Ray talk. <laughs> I don't know why. You were very thorough. I loved it. Perfect. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to add because that was incredibly thorough. Uh, the main thing that it really kind of boils down to that, uh, that, uh, that could still just basically end everything is that the burden of proof is very, very high on Rudy Giuliani and his team to, re to really show uh, a lot of what he's bringing to court. Um, it, it really boils down to if he cannot prove that, uh, that there has been no wrongdoing, then the the results will be pretty much automatically accepted. Uh, and, and like Essie said, there is a lot of different moving parts that need to be examined along the way. And I think anybody that uh, discourages those examinations, they're not being true to what a democracy, or in our case, really a republic, is uh, I, I like I said I thoroughly want the uh, the whole process to be examined completely thoroughly so that uh, and even if it pushes back the inauguration we know who is truly the president of the United States when all is said and done uh, there's been a, a few cases that were filed immediately uh, but unfortunately so far most of those have been dismissed for lack of evidence or evidence only based on hearsay so Rudy has got a large hill to climb to bring factual evidence for any judge to uh, to, to put their stamp of approval on uh, reversing a result or filing for audits, miscounts. Uh, I want to see it. Uh, I don't blame anybody that wants that question answered. As a matter of fact, I think uh, it's integral to what we need to do as a nation to get this question settled and move forward, no matter who it winds up being. Um, so please, uh, uh, I, like, like I said, I don't have a whole lot more to add to it because it was incredibly thorough. Uh, so everything was covered well. Uh, uh, my props to you, Esty. Great work. Uh, just to be specific with our words, right? No one's asking for reversal of elections, right? The cases are for auditing and recounts. Absolutely. If that winds up being a reversal, then so be it. Yeah, I, I guess my question is reversal of what? Of what the media told? Of what Fox told? That's uh, not, that's well, not uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, as far as anything that's been called so far, you're right. There's, nobody has the authority to call anything until the Electoral College has had their say. Uh, so it will, as far as what the reversal winds up being, uh, in, in my viewpoint, the reversal of who electoral votes are allocated to when all is said and done. I mean, I, I think, listen, we're in the second week of November. I think the case coming before the court tomorrow is big. I think there are um, at least three or four big ones coming after that. Uh, we've discussed some of them here. Um, I think before mid-December, we'll have a good idea of what needs to be audited before electoral votes go in. I don't, I don't think it's going to get to reversal, to be honest. And what's reversal, just to bring everyone up to speed? Take it away. 
Uh, well, it, was, it might have been a poor choice of words on my part, but uh, ultimately, at least uh, to me, what a reversal boils down to is, uh, for example, if impropriety was found in Pennsylvania, they would do a recount of uh, the actual votes. They, they remove ones they find to be um, uh, incorrect, poor, illegal, uh, and it turns out that the electoral votes then should have gone to Donald Trump at that point. Then you have a reversal of uh, of who those are assigned to, and it could dra- drastically impact who is uh, who is awarded the, awarded the presidency. Okay, this uh, leads me into the next question, which is: in the case that there is fraud, or that the fraud is um, proven, do you think? And is it based on numbers or opinion? Realistically speaking, is it enough to swing the election from Biden to Trump? Um, I'll go ahead and start with that one. Uh, Realistically speaking, probably not. Um, You will have to see a uh, a swing of anywhere from two to three states uh, to to give enough electoral votes to Donald Trump at this point. Um, well, considering where everything is, all uh, all the the votes have not been count, counted in six states so far. But uh, with everything trending the way that it is, with the mail-in vote leaning heavily towards uh, Joe Biden, nobody expects uh, states that the press is called to uh, change to something else officially. Um, if uh, if they do, uh, it would have to be about two to three states worth of electoral college votes, depending on which states that they are that do change for things to go Donald Trump's way at this point. That's a very, very uh, improbable outcome, quite honestly. I, I think I think this is somewhere I would disagree, and just given the scale of the of the numbers of ballots that are being challenged in each state. Um, I, I think it's possible that Biden will still be the winner after um, everything is audited and tabulated. I think it's also very possible that Trump will be the president. So moving on, we're going to move along uh, past all the drama or excitement that's happening now and just go back to politics straight up and your opinions or getting some numbers on you know, comparing um, the votes for Donald Trump or conservative versus Democratic this time around versus 2016. So we'll start with this. What, um, which demographics would you say voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020? And were there any changes or differences? Why? And do you have any data to back that up? Yes, you want to go first? Um, do you want to go first? This is where I'm weakest. <laughs> so if you've got some hard numbers, I've got a lot of good information for 2016, but I don't really have for 2020. So me being able to compare right now, it's not very strong. I can maybe do some generals, but not specifics. Okay, great. Well, I am pulling up my numbers over here. So, um, and I wasn't as involved or interested in 2016. So I feel like I, um, so you can complement each other here. There you go. I'll be happy to throw out some uh, information on 2016. And if you want to follow up with 2020, we can debate why things have stayed the same or changed. Yeah. Okay. So in 2020, um, Trump has collected more minority votes than any Republican since throughout a year. Minority? I'm going to just say probably ever. 
1960. Oh, okay. The highest number of Latinos that ever voted for Republican president, the highest number of black men, the highest number of black people overall. From 2016 to 2020, Trump increased his support among black men and women from 8% to 12%, and there was a surge amongst black men from 13% to 18% of black men supporting him. And ironically, he picked up in every voting um, group except for white men compared to his 2016 election. Now... And and with the numbers standing where they are now, he's already um, received 70 million votes. So before before I start drawing conclusions, why don't you go into the 2016 numbers? Actually, Absolutely. Um, in looking uh, forward uh, or looking back at uh, 2016, uh, there were... Uh, it was 50, 52% of the vote of uh, were favored men. I'm sorry, 52% of the vote from men favored Trump, from women favored Clinton. Uh, when it came to the age group, uh, age voting groups, it progressively improved from uh, from the age of 18, 29 segment all the way up to the age of 65 plus for Trump. Uh, whereas the lower, the younger folks uh, favored Hillary Clinton. It, it, well, 58%, uh, whereas in 65, they voted Clinton 44% to Trump's 53. Uh, the white vote heavily favored Trump. The black vote uh, heavily, very heavily favored uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. And very favorably, sorry, uh, favored uh, Hillary Clinton with a Hispanic vote as well. The areas that I am certain that uh, that there was a lot of uh, in, uh, improvement for Trump on would have to be black men and black women because it was the the black men and the black women vote heavily favored Clinton in 2016. Um, the, the and to be uh, com, uh, completely uh, completely barefaced on this, uh, the black women vote in 2016, less than 2% voted for Donald Trump at that point. So that has to have improved by then uh, for, uh, I've got a couple of opinions as to why that is, but uh, I'll, we'll kind of cover that a little bit later. Um, back in 2016, you actually saw non-college graduates strongly favor Trump, whereas uh, college graduates strongly favored Hillary. And the uh, and among uh, among white people, that uh, only strengthened as far as college graduates and non college college graduates, and uh, with non whites, uh, both heavily favored both college graduate and non college graduate favored Hillary Clinton. Uh, so it's very hard to completely compare some of these numbers. Uh, well, on the the Clinton and Biden side, but you can def we can definitely take a look at uh, uh, how things changed for Donald Trump. Um, Esty, do you have any information on the black women vote for Trump in 2020? Well, Ray, would you like to share some of your opinions on to why uh, that you said you'd say absolutely? For later? Um, the big one that I've got is that there were. Uh, a lot of people that felt that two things with Kamala Harris that might have driven away black voters as opposed to uh, bringing them in because she is a woman of color. And that boils down to the fact that her, uh, uh, number one, a lot of people do not like to feel pandered to. Uh, 
And a lot of folks might have looked at Kamala Harris as a strategic pick uh, because of being a woman of color, uh, but not so much like uh, that that she fully represented them. uh, And therefore, they might have been turned off by that. Uh, Obviously, not being a woman of color, I can only speculate. Um, But the other thing that uh, that I know for a fact that I've uh, talked with a lot of folks on the left uh, as well, the big uh, concerning factor regarding Kamala Harris was her uh, record in the prison system that tended to come down more heavily upon people of color. And uh, they obviously felt a little bit betrayed by that, but also some of her words felt like uh, they, she would, was not one of them. Uh, again, not being a person of color, I, I don't have a whole lot more to offer than what I've heard. Uh, but that, sem- that seemed to be a pretty going, pretty much a going theory. I was on another podcast just earlier this week talking with a gentleman about 22 years old uh, in, in California. And when I mentioned uh, Kamala Harris's record in the prison system, uh, he that was probably the most alert he was through the entire conversation. He was very much in agreement saying, yeah, that was a big factor in my decision. So uh, I, I felt pretty good. I feel pretty good about stating that that was probably a big factor for uh, for most uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Esty, are you ready to chime in? I'm not a woman of color, um, but I have great color and I'm a woman. I can tell you that it's, it's very funny how... Uh, closely juxtaposed the Kamala Harris nomination was to the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. And that was sort of my litmus test. Like if you claim to be a feminist and it's about women, then I want to see you celebrate Kamala Harris and I want to see you celebrate Amy Coney Barrett. And what I saw was that (coughs) all of my liberal friends were tweeting excitedly and happily when Kamala Harris had that moment in the debate. Uh, excuse me, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, which I don't think was that impressive and I don't think is the best way to handle a conversation because that was a debate and people talk over each other in debates all the time. Um, and yet when April Coney Barrett um, was going through the nomination, I think very respectfully, Um, and handled the challenges that were thrown her way very, very well. Um, Not only did I not see any notes of congratulations, but I saw attacks that were completely um, not based in facts, not based in what she said, not based in the way she she said she would rule. Just to give an example, a liberal journalist posted that an article about IVF and how she's so concerned about women who need to use IVF to get pregnant because Amy Coney Barrett might be might, might become SCOTUS. And I mean, she never even, nothing she ever said or wrote comes close to uh, putting the legality of IVF into question. And it was completely, someone on the other side of the aisle don't, Um, but you don't have to attack someone just because they're on the other side of the aisle. So that was a big moment for me. In the end of the day, I don't think people vote for a set of genitalia and I don't think people vote for a skin color. I think people vote for a candidate who they believe represents their values and will do the best job representing them. 
in a leadership uh, position. Oh, all of those other things could be nice additions, but in the end of the day, they're not the driving force, no matter what they say. And frankly, I think this identity politics um, has been very hurtful. Um, you know, in 2016, when Hillary Clinton said uh, basically that every woman has to vote for me because if not, you're not a real woman. And then in 2020, we had the moment where Joe Biden told someone who was asking him a question and said he has a lot of time until November, telling him, oh, well, if you're even thinking of voting for Trump, then you ain't black. And then we had that reinforced a week and a half before the election when 50 Cent said he doesn't care uh, what Trump is personally, but he's not going to vote for him because he doesn't like Joe Biden's tax plan. And then his former ex-girlfriend, who's a white person, a white woman, Chelsea Handler, uh, told him, I had to remind him that he's black and he can't vote for whoever he wants. Um, I don't think that resonated well with minority communities. I don't like people like to be told that they have to vote for someone or that they have to think a certain way or that they have to fall in line with a certain ideology just because of their gender or their skin color. I never appreciated it when I was told, you're an Orthodox woman, so you have to do this. You're a woman, so you have to think this way. I appreciated making my own decisions and supporting whoever I wanted to support. And people aren't idiots. And I think the last four years of the media just going on a complete war, not against, yes, against Trump, but like Trump is one person, but against all the people who voted for Trump and being proven wrong in such a massive way, 70 million people came out and said, I don't buy your rhetoric. I don't buy that every single person out there who, who wants lower taxes is a racist. Um, I, I think that spoke volumes. Um, We're going to go into the press and policies more. So we'll wrap up this question. Ray, did you get to uh, talk on this? Uh, I, I think, well, as far as the, the stats go, uh, I, I think we've kind of covered that. Uh, as far as like, uh, are you asking for a response to what some of uh, SD had had to say? Sure. Okay. Unless it has to do, sure, and we'll transition into the next two questions. I have a feeling it might help with the transition, too. Okay. And that's, uh, I, I, uh, I agree that there are many, many folks that, uh, that, that vote not only uh, not only their conscience, but also logically they look at all the positions and uh, the approaches that the candidates uh, have done in the past, what they're planning on doing in the future. But there's also a lot of passion involved too. Uh, if uh, there, a lot of folks will uh, ultimately go with their gut. Uh, they'll take an educated guess as to who will actually uh, fulfill their promises if they are saying the things that uh, they want to say. But uh, but they also, like you said, uh, SD, a lot of people do not like to be pandered to. And uh, and that showed a lot in this election. You're absolutely correct. Uh, the there Everybody was saying there's going to be a big blue wave, a big red wave. Neither side had a big wave. Uh, we, if we saw anything, it was just a fire hose pretty much trained at the office of the president. Because when you look at all the other races, uh, there was not much movement in regards to gaining or losing in the the, uh, the Senate uh, and uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, as a matter of fact, Democrats lost some seats, uh, but they still maintain the majority in uh 
in the House. And right now, there's no, still no clear-cut winner, even in the Senate. So no big wave on either side. And I think it's because a big portion of that is, like Essie said, nobody likes to be pand- uh, talked down to. Uh, they don't like to be told you have to vote a certain way because of your ethnicity, your religion, uh, your stance on LBGQT. Um, and it the the rhetoric in the press has kind of grown to that degree where it's uh, an either or issue for the press. Uh, that's going to happen when when you look at the fact that only six major corporations own 95% of the press outlets that are out there. Obviously not counting podcasts like this one, which is one of the beautiful things about our podcasting systems that we've got out there, is you get a better exchange of ideals and uh, and logical uh, uh, exchange that, uh, for example, what we're providing here. So I think uh, the podcast world in general, you're going to see a better, more genuine slice of what America is truly thinking um, than you're going to from the press in, in, at large. So, in yeah, yeah the, the most folks that I know, if they want answers, they'll look to uh, mainstream media to see what's being talked about. Then they'll go do their own research. Um, but the ones that do not go past that, the ones that uh, are inflamed by passion, uh, I think uh, they would gain a lot from listening to alternative media, uh, whether it's a conservative or a liberal bent or both, preferably both. So you get a bigger picture of how the world, uh, as well as uh, the states, see what is going on. So um, I think I pretty much finished that. Um, I actually think I have a data point to prove the point you just made. Yes. So Steven Crowder, who is an independent YouTube star, mm-hmm. uh, had 8.2 million viewers on election night. Um, CNN had 9 million viewers and Fox News had 14 million viewers. I think four years from now, um, the the YouTube channels of the world will have much larger numbers and what is now called the mainstream media, I think will revert to become more legacy media because there is no trust. There is zero trust for the media, I think, on both sides. Um, and, and that's reflected. Fully agree. Just to answer the question that I had earlier. Um, so for Hispanics, Trump also gained among Hispanics nationally, according to CNN exits. McCain got 31% of the Hispanic vote. Romney got 27% of the Hispanic vote. Trump in 2016 got 28% of them. Um, uh, Hispanic vote and Trump in 2020 got 32% of the Hispanic votes. Um, I think so. I think numbers speak for themselves. We won't um, go into explaining them and we'll move on so we can just wrap up and make sure we cover everything we planned for tonight. So uh, as you both talked about, you know, emotion and evoking emotion voters, and then we spoke about policies, and those are two separate things that are happening when campaigns are being run. And I'd like to uh, touch upon policies, and um, and there are sort of a few questions here, but what grade would you give the last four years to the Trump administration? And... Um, and if you want to touch upon why you think people voted one way or another, was it a pro-Trump, anti-Trump vote more? Or would you say it was, po- meaning, was it like racist, anti-racist, or whatever else is involved in Trump, pro-Trump? Or was it more policy-based, 
meaning healthcare, education, social issues like LGBTQ, environment, um, maybe we want to talk about campaign promises, um, versus um, there being just that passion or gut feeling, as we've mentioned before with voters. So I know it's a very loaded question. Feel free to work with whatever you'd like here. I'm sorry, what's your question? How, how did they perform or, or what, what was the ultimate uh, decision driver to cast their vote? So number one would be, how would you say on these major issues, how did the Trump administration perform? I know people gave very little credit and the economy was doing pre-COVID. Um, the numbers do show unemployment and overall that it was doing very well. So what grade would you give the Trump administration in terms of all these different issues? And maybe on some issues, you would give a better grade than others. And then the second question would be, how much of the vote do you feel was an emotional pro-anti versus policy driven? Who would like to go first? I think Ray should go first. Uh, absolutely, I can. Um, let's see, uh, kind of going by the list that uh, that you had uh, set to us uh, prior to kind of uh, have our thoughts prepared. I'm um, going to start at the top with uh, economy and unemployment. Um, as far as giving a grade goes, um, I'm going to go with a D plus. Uh, the reason for that is uh, if you play the stock market and you already have a lot of money, uh, you probably love him because he made you a lot more. Uh, but the vast majority of Americans are not that uh, invested in the stock market itself. Uh, maybe their 401ks are, but that's not tangible to them. Uh, so uh, was a whole lot done for uh, for individuals? Not so much. Um, they there's probably some very good reasons for that. A lot of it has to, does have to do with Congress and their, uh, their lack of progress there. Um, but the, but when it comes to that, uh, and unfortunately because of the virus striking this year, uh, unemployment, uh, growing drastically prior to that unemployment was, uh, was improving. It was steadily improving. A lot of folks were seeing jobs return. Uh, a lot of that, however, I'm pretty sure, especially in the first uh, couple of years of Trump's uh, uh, reign, for lack of a better term, uh, some of that ble was bleed over from the previous administration. And uh, But did it continue? It did continue well into the administration until COVID hit. Uh, so, uh, so I don't want to give him an F because he did make strides in that field. Um, but were they strong strides? Were they noticeable strides? Not noticeable enough. Um, and quite, quite frankly, not strong enough. Uh, but do I feel that that was emotionally driven more than factually driven? Absolutely more emotionally driven, especially when it came to 2020 and a lot of people being unemployed at this point. Uh, the next step, that, uh, the next uh, issue that was brought up was national unity. Uh, on this one, I do have to give Trump an F on that. Uh, he's never sought unity amongst uh, the party, um, uh, not amongst the party, but amongst the uh, amongst both uh, Congress, Senate, and both sides of the aisle. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's driven people away from the Republican Party. A good example of that being the gentleman that had formed the Lincoln Project. Um, he's always shown. Uh, a propensity to uh, drive division as opposed to uh, as opposed as opposed to unity, and he definitely shows favoritism towards uh, people that he considers on his level, and that's of a, a wealthy status. Uh, 
Uh, foreign policy. This is a, one, of, one of the better grades I'm going to give him, and that's a C. Uh, uh, because for two really big reasons, the, the peace talks in the Middle East is a beautiful thing. Uh, I, dr- I truly love any time that there is some progress in that result, in that uh, that realm. And quite honestly, the fact that uh, no new wars have been started in the last four years, I think anybody that, any, I can't think of anybody that would think that that is a bad thing in any capacity. So I love the fact that he's done that. However, pulling out many, out of uh, many of the agreements and accords that we've been a part of on a global scale has really hurt the United States in uh, in our standing as world leaders, uh, mainly because you cannot lead a world when you're standing on the outside looking in. There were many things that could have been improved with all those accords, um, the Paris Accord being a big one. However, you can't change anything for the better if you're on if you're not a part of it, working from the inside to improve it. Uh, moving on to immigration, uh, I'm going to say I'm going to give him a D on that, mainly because uh, he's been very effective in curbing immigration, but only because he's scared a lot of immigrants away from wanting to chase the American dream, and uh, that's really. Uh, that's really concerning to me as uh, somebody that's going to be probably retiring in the next uh, 25 years, because there are a lot of uh, a lot of immigrants that could bring innovation that is now being going now going to be staying in other companies countries I should say that they could have brought over here. Uh, the main reason for that uh, is seeing how anybody that is not of Caucasian descent uh, is being treated by uh, by border security, by ICE agents, uh, the children in cages, even though the cages were built prior to Trump being there, they've been filled by Trump. And that is very noticeable on the global stage. And that uh, is very concerning to any future immigration uh, that, uh, that might occur. The healthcare environment. I got to go with an F on that one, uh, mainly because there's been promises for four years. Healthcare and environment are oh, two separate. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> in that case, I going to go with F on both. Um, so healthcare in particular, the um, we've been promised new healthcare plans, something to replace the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare. Uh, For four years, we've been told it's coming in the next couple of weeks for the last six months. Uh, It's very, very weak and it very, very much stood out to anybody that healthcare was their number one priority when it came to this election. I honestly think that uh, that healthcare alone probably lost Donald Trump a lot of votes because they could only be told it's coming for so long and keep believing that it is indeed coming. Uh, The environment... I got to, like I said, I got to go with an F. There's been a lot of plans in place. I lost track, actually, but I saw a comprehensive list of about 30 different environmental acts that have been reversed in the last four years. And uh, a lot, there's been a lot of uh, concern about uh, national forests being opened up for drilling. Um, there's th- Those things are really concerning to anybody that genuinely believes the environment is going to make uh, the the impact on the environment makes an impact on a global scale, uh, in particular in the, in the realm of climate change, where uh, Donald Trump has shown a uh, propensity to uh, to 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ignore or basically debase and say that it's not based in accuracy, even though um, at this point, I believe 92% of scientists will say that the that climate change is a man-made exacerbated issue that could be addressed. Uh, and then finally, on campaign promises, I give him the strongest score that uh, he could possibly have uh, from me, and that's a B minus. Uh, main reason for that is he did fulfill quite a few of his campaign promises. Uh, granted, he had to do it through executive order. He didn't go through Congress. Uh, a lot of folks are really concerned about that because uh, they are fe- uh, more fearful of uh, rule by fiat, rule by an emperor, rather than through a democ- uh, democracy-based system. But I have to hand it to him. He did get a lot of things done there. Uh, the big one being uh, the promise of installing more Supreme Court justices that are conservative. Uh, he's been very effective in doing that. Three in a matter of four years is very, very strong. I don't agree with uh, those choices personally, but I got to give it to him. He got it done. So that's where I kind of stand on a lot of those issues that uh, that we uh, started with. Okay. Thank you, Ray. Esty, would you like to respond or I mean, yeah, sure. I would like to respond. Uh, I would like to present my point of view. I've been taking notes while you're speaking. Um, this is, I think, a place where Ray and I would disagree a lot, even though we, we actually agree on a lot of the accomplishments. I just think the way we perceive the role of government is very different. So first, I'm going to respond to a few of the things you said, and then I'll go into how I would rate uh, President Trump. Now, if I'm comparing President Trump to previous presidents of this country, I would give him an absolute A, maybe an A minus if I'm super strict, but uh, he has done an amazing job for this country, for the people of this country. Um, and I'll go in, why into it now. You mentioned the Lincoln Project. I think we can all agree based on the results of the last election and the hundreds of millions of dollars they pu- pushed into local races and lost them, and the absolute identity politics that have been pushing has all proven futile. I think uh, I think the results of this election say a lot of the Lincoln pro- about the Lincoln Project. Um, I've heard a lot about the and read a lot about the founders of the Lincoln Project. It seems like a huge farce to me, and basically, to de- um, it seems like the underlying goal there is to make Americans embarrassed of their heritage and. And their background. Uh, that was just one thing I wanted to address before getting into the point. Now, before we talk about was Trump good, was Trump bad, let's talk about what the role of government is. I think a big difference between someone who's more conservative and someone who's more um, demo- on the democratic side of the aisle is that on the conservative side, and especially someone like me who's much more libertarian, In most areas of my life, I do not want to be touched by the government. I do not want to see the government. I do not want to hear the government. The government has two major roles. Number one is to make sure that my life and my property doesn't come into danger. So that's the army, that's the police, and that's the legal system. Those are the three things that the government should provide. That's what we pay taxes for. Other than that, I don't think the government should be taking care of anything. I don't think the government should be taking care or paying for education. I don't think the government should be taking care or paying for health care. I don't think the government should be uniting or ununiting the country. I think that all of those things, I, I believe in a free market. I believe that in a free market where there's competition, 
the one who ends up winning the most is the consumer because they get the best price, the best selection, the people who own the company, including the employees, the board members and the shareholders end up winning when the company does well. And, um, and that's the way the economy grows. There's creation of new opportunity. I don't believe that people can be taxed. Um, I only believe that taxing works to a certain degree. I think if you tax people beyond a certain point, people will not be incentivized to work and to produce. Um, and I think that if you give people, uh, it used to be if a person can't work, we're going to put them on welfare. But the narrative has changed in the past four years, thanks to people like AOC. If a person chooses not to work, they should receive money for the government. And I think it's ironic coming from her, from a person who literally hasn't held a job with a formal paycheck until she uh, ended up in the U.S. government, um, but someone like me who has gone into debt 200000 to get a business degree so that I can become wealthy, someone who started a business, someone who, who has worked two jobs for the past um, two years so that I, I can grow my wealth, so that I can invest, so that I can continue developing, given the fact that I paid over $100,000 in taxes over the past two years and have gotten literally nothing in return, that is a very painful reality. And the reality is when people say free healthcare, nothing is free. That means I am going to be paying for your healthcare. If you don't want to work and you're going to be getting a paycheck, that means I'm working and I'm paying your paycheck. And, I, and that's theft. And what I've been hearing on the left and people like Elizabeth Warren, who are extremely popular in the Democratic Party, based on the polling, she's been way ahead of Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders promulgates similar things with a wealth tax um, proposal. And she, she calls it a wealth tax. She doesn't call it redistribution of wealth, but by the time it's in articles and people are discussing it on forums and in podcasts, it becomes redistribution of wealth. And they're like, Hey, people have a lot of money and other people don't have money. So why don't we take some of their money and give it to others? You know what? Another word for that is theft. One of the key rights of this country is the right to own your property. The role of the government is the right to own your property, the right of expression. All of these rights are, are, are endangered now by, and I want to say the radical left, but no one perceives the radical left as radical anymore. Kamala Harris, who was rated one of the most liberal senators in the U.S. government, might become vice president of this country. This isn't the radical left. This is, this is the party. This is the left. And they're pushing, and she posted an ad on her Twitter two days before the election. Have you seen it, Ray? No. I, I, I'm, I'm happy, by the way, to send all the links we've been discussing and all the data, where she said, there are some people who are disadvantaged, and we want to help them. And you, she shows a person who's climbing up a rock and a person who's underground and trying to climb up a rock. And she says, and they're not starting in the same places. Um, and you understand that she's talking about equality of opportunity, which is an argument. It's been had in this country for years. And then she goes, and we need to ensure that they end up in the same place. That is communism. I grew up in Russia after 70 years of communism. Do you know what that means? That means no one gets a salary of more than 150 rubles a month. That means taxation is at 90%. It doesn't matter if you're a physicist, if you're cleaning toilets, 
If you're a doctor, if you're a teacher, it doesn't matter. If you're good and you're bad or you're bad, you'll never be fired. Education will be free, but it will be, God knows what kind of education. Healthcare will be free, but they won't have wheelchairs and they won't have operating equipment and they won't have medication. And no one will be incentivized. People talk about the drug prices here. I mean, I've worked for a pharmaceutical company for be developed um, with all the regulations that are involved that should be involved because drugs can save lives and they can also kill lives if, if they're not developed properly. So for every uh, drug a company rolls out, there are another nine drugs that are in development for over 10 years that will never make it to market. And then after that drug is released, the company only has 10 to 15 years to make their money back because after that, the patent will run out and anyone can produce it and they won't be making any money on it. So there is a reason the market functions a certain way. And if you take that away and AOC says free Medicare and Bernie Sanders says free, free health care is a right for all, there won't be any more drugs. There, if, if doctors will earn the same amount that a teacher earns, there will be no incentive for someone to go to school for 12 years to become a doctor. You're going to have crazy shortages of doctors. We've seen this happen in Russia. It's happening currently in Venezuela. It's we know we know how this plays, playbook plays out, and yet people are trying to play it again. So, so that's that's just an argument against the over involvement of government. So I'm not even going to answer questions like did Trump unite the country or did not unite the country. I don't think he made a huge difference. I think the country was extremely uh, divided under Obama. I think it's going to be very. Uh, disunited that's why you have different states that's why people choose the communities they live in it's not the job of a president to unite or to disunite in terms of de de delivering on his promises i think trump was very clear that his agenda was america first and american interests first whatever he saw them to be and in terms of delivering on his promises he did better than any other president in the history of this country in terms of as, as an Orthodox Jew, he promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem. That promise has been made by Clinton. That promise has been made by Bush. That promise has been made time and time again. And no one ever intended of keeping it. Trump came and in the beginning of his presidency made that promise. And I'm not even going to talk about all the Orthodox Jews who were upset by it because who knows what kind of reaction there would be. And they wouldn't even give Trump credit for making such a monumental move. The four peace deals that he did in the Middle East. I mean, my husband is Israeli. He, he we couldn't travel to um, to the UAE, and now and now he could. That's a huge difference. Now they can have trade agreements. That's a huge thing. And it was totally Obama been the one to do that. He would have gotten the peace prize, the Nobel Prize. Obama got it anyways for not doing anything, and and Trump didn't get got barely any recognition for that, for breaking the Iran nuclear deal, which was an absolute disaster. And not only that, I'll tell you, John Kerry, who was um, during in the Obama administration, he spoke at the Davos conference saying, I spoke with the Arabs, I spoke with the Jews, there will be no peace, no. And like, you can hear a video of him saying that. And then Trump came along with a different mindset, a different team, and they got it done. So that is a tremendous amount of, of credit that he never got and he absolutely deserves. In terms of renegotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership and um, uh, the deals with Canada, with Mexico, with China, um, 
the funding that he withdrew from the UN, pulling out of the Paris Accords, I I give him a hundred points for effort on all of them. Um, based on the Paris Accords, once I understood what was actually in the Paris Accords, it was basically placing 100% of the responsibility and of the taxation on the U.S. The U.S. had to pay way more than every country, had to commit to shutting down way more of their fossil fuel industry than any other country, while China and India, who are polluting much more than, uh, than America, could go on for another 10, 20 years polluting. It was not a deal that was in America's best interest. And when I hear... Uh, you know, polls and articles and people saying, uh, Germany laughs at America. Who cares? We don't elect a president so that a president shouldn't be laughed at by Germany. And I think, you know, something I've been realizing in the past couple of months, just following on Twitter and uh, following conservatives, until Trump came along, you know, Trump wasn't even viewed. I think a lot of Republicans didn't vote for Trump in 2016 because they didn't know if he would be authentic to the Republican agenda. They didn't know if he was a real Republican or if he was just a populist. And he ended up earning the, the vote of the GOP and getting a lot of them to stand behind him over the, the last four years. But I think a big shift that happened was that the former, the John McCain's and the Mitt Romney's, who in the, in the Jewish word, the Jewish word for them is menches. They are respectable people. They are so nice. They will say the right thing. In the end of the day, what did they get done? Mitt Romney, with all of his niceness, couldn't beat Obama. And had he beat Obama, would he have been an effective president? Who knows? The bottom line is Trump came in and he was like, I don't care about being nice. I don't care about being respected. I care about doing what I said I would do. And I won't stop and I won't be pressured just because people think it's otherwise. And I think that has caused a huge shift. I think that appealed to minority voters as well. Um, and the, the, this year, there have been 4 million new Republican registrants across the country to the party. Those 4 million people, and you know, I'm not even a Republican. I'm still registered as an independent. Um, that, that appeals to me as a voter. When I vote for someone, I want to know that they will say something and then they will deliver. I don't care. And I want to know that when pressure is applied, they won't buckle. That's an important quality for me. So... Um, in terms of immigration, to be honest, it wasn't an issue I cared about very much. He built a lot of the wall. Immigration is at a 10-year low under him. Um, military, you know, Obama has took away a lot of the funding of the military, and Trump reinvested a tremendous amount in it. He has done a lot with space. For the past 20 years, uh, America has been using Russian-produced uh produce spaceships to launch into into cosmos what's what's the word into space and after the first time with a partnership with a private company with elon musk they launched a u.s produced um airship into space he is thinking forward and he's producing accordingly in terms of the economy i mean he's done extremely well right before covid um the 3.5 unemployment and when people say Obama was better in his seven years, Obama had the slowest recovery from 2008. The slowest recovery. And with the bailout of the auto industry, which I personally do not think was the right thing to do, I think he made a lot of wrong decisions and overregulated. When Trump came into office, he did two things very fast. The, tr the tax cuts, which was a bigger tax cut 
then in 10 years, both for individuals, 82% of the beneficiaries of that tax cut were middle-class people. So for everyone who says that he just did it for the rich people, no, my husband and I who work very hard and we are by no means rich, we are middle-class, we benefited a lot from it. And he deregulated to make it easier to start a business, to make money and to grow the economy. That's for us, we're urban people. But if you take places like Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, where coal mining um, and oil drilling is not only a legacy, but also the future of, of the economy for those places, which due to environmental projects are being put into danger, um, Trump came and gave them hope back. Now, in terms of with, with the discovery of fracking, um, America has become energy independent for the first time in history, which brings gas prices down, which makes life affordable for everyday Americans, and which gives all those people in those areas um, jobs, uh, the opportunity to invest in their future, to build houses, um, to, to plant their roots. So, um, and then just with COVID, first of all, unemployment, even at the beginning, even when it was still at 10%, it was still better than 95% of the other countries that, that had to shut down because of COVID. And now we're at under 7% again, it's 6.9% unemployment with a 33 point something percent GDP jump in the third quarter. He's been doing amazingly on the, under the economy. The stock market has been doing amazingly well, even with the COVID drops, the recovery has been much faster than under Obama. And he has made it clear during his campaign and yes, I believe him and the people who voted for him believe in him that he, if he can, he will not shut down this country again. And he acts like leaders. So when Dr. Fauci, whose specialty is infectious diseases, says the country should be shut down, he is speaking from the perspective of an infectious disease expert. Of course, an infectious disease expert will want the country to be shut down indefinitely because his goal is to get diseases to, to zero. But the commander in chief has more than an infectious disease to look at. We don't live in a world where our risk is zero. We live in a world where every time we get into a car, we have a risk of getting into a car accident. We have a risk of getting a flu and dying from it. There are risks that we live with. And there is the economical risks, which are very significant, the psychological risks. Psycho psychologists, economists have a lot to say about this. And all of these things have to be taken into opinion um, when, when these decisions are, are being made. Another point I want to make about the COVID lockdowns is the the crazy infringement on liberty and the toll on liberty that it has taken and it really gave a good taste of communism to this country even though unfortunately i think a lot of people haven't realized it so for example the shutdowns the essential versus non-essential businesses who did that end up hurting we'll take your state Freddie lives in pennsylvania i don't know where you really live but Tom Wolf, the governor of Pennsylvania, so everything shut down except for essential businesses. He owns a few stores. Turns out all of them were what? Equality for thee, but not for me. When everything in San Francisco was shut down, who went to the salon to get her hair done? Nancy Pelosi. Everyone else can't go, I could go. That's exactly when you start seeing, when the rules become not manageable, when you don't trust people to make their own decisions, and to believe that people ultimately want to be safe. And if the numbers are extraordinarily high, people will wear masks, people will social distance, and you start enforcing this upon them, you are taking liberties away that you will probably never give back. 
And a lot of people did sense that and they turned away from it. We actually spent seven weeks in Florida and coming from New York where everything was closed, everything was forbidden. It was just a nasty, dark, gray place to live in. Going to a place, first of all, there was just more room to breathe and the sky was blue, which was nice. But you just smelled and sensed the freedom. America is a country of freedom and that cannot be taken away. And the last point I want to make is on the environment. So you're concerned that he allows fracking and that has negative impacts on the environment, pulling out of the Paris Accords, which we already discussed. But I just want to bring you one true story to put things into perspective. In the end of the 1900s, there was a huge environmental concern in the world that the manure from all the horses was emitting gases that was going to bring the world temperature down, that was going to bring it up, and was going to cause um, an environmental crisis. And thank God, this invention came to save the environment. And what was that? The automobile. So yes, there is scientific proof that uh, global warming is happening. No, the Paris Accords are not scientifically the way to fix it. I think there are a lot of projects that are working on it. There's a lot of research. I don't think we're close to it, but I don't think infringing on our way of life now in a very significant way and hurting our liberties and freedoms and hurting our economy just because it might help down the road, I don't think is the smartest strategy. Okay, so, and then just for Supreme Court justices, Trump did a phenomenal job, placed a ton of justices. And 177 of the justices on the local courts he placed were vacancies left by the Obama-Biden administration. So that's another question for them. Why did they leave all these openings? Just And, and Trump, you know, he was quick. He filled them up. I have an answer for that. Go for it. The uh, conservative uh, courts led by Mitch McConnell blocked any of those, a lot of those uh, appointments that, uh, that Obama was trying to make. And that's the only reason they st they remained open. Then that block magically disappeared once uh, Donald Trump became the president. What does magically disappear uh, mean? Means um, McConnell stopped fighting it. I mean, I know, I know the case in 2016 with the Supreme Justice that that wasn't approved by the Senate, but there wasn't a Senate majority, and he was such a Obama was such a divisive president. Like, you know, I probably wouldn't approve it either. I would just wait it out, but. Um, I, I would have to look more into into the local issue. Okay, Ray, I would love some um, just talk back to some of the stuff that Esty brought up. Is there anything you would like to address or reframe? You know, this is your opportunity to speak up for the liberal side, for the left side. Um, I, I'm sure everyone, anyone listening who does um, feel and side with you would like for you to speak up because SD did bring up a lot of things that did stand against your grades for, um, you know, speaking to economy, jobs, opportunities. Um, there were clearly certain disagreements, but to the things that they were complete opposite opinions, what would you like to say in response to SD? Um, she she was very uh, very thorough in a lot of her research, so I probably don't have as uh, as thorough of research that uh, that she has made. So I'm going to give her lots of props on uh, on doing exactly that. Um, a lot of it really does kind of boil down to how you look at each issue. Uh, I I mentioned the um, 
the courts uh, and the the local courts being filled uh, as uh, as a uh, just a, a quick rebuttal at the very end there. Um, but uh, what uh, wasn't kind of uh, brought up though was healthcare at all. Um, so I want to. I want to kind of just. I do want to ask Esty if she feels like uh, that Donald Trump has a strong score in uh, in the healthcare uh, over the last four years. So any approaches that he's made towards uh, repairing or improving Obamacare in particular, but uh, anything else healthcare related? Yeah, I mean, I, I think on healthcare, his performance is weaker than on his other promises. He did have that bill that he tried to push forward. That was actually a great bill that was shot down by John McCain. Uh, because they didn't give him the majority. Um, so I, I just think he's been ineffective there, to be honest. Um, so I, I think Obamacare is horrible as someone whose insurance premiums went up as a result. Uh, I don't appreciate that. I don't appreciate having to pay for other people. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't expect anyone to pay for me. I, as the middle class, am being taxed more than anyone else, and my money is going. Like I just, I don't appreciate it. I think, I think it's not an American value. Um, it's, it's not a reality I want. So I think, I think there are issues with the healthcare system. I think Obamacare. You know, my my husband works in healthcare, and I work in um, in a company also that that's still in the pharmaceutical industry. So we're both tied into um, to the industry government regulations, the more regulations there are, first of all, the free market figures out how to work around them and how to use all these regulations. So um, Obama placed a cap on the profit that insurance companies can make at 5%. So they just started hiking up costs. So the 5% is just, so now if you get an Advil in the hospital, it could be $800. Like, like regulating is not a solution. Taxing everyone through the roof is not a solution. Providing free healthcare for all is not a solution. I think the insurance companies, I think the insurance companies have to be deregulated. I don't think they should be tied to employers. I think it's the most ridiculous thing that if you have an employer who has good insurance, you'll get good insurance. It's something from the Roosevelt days, who was also extremely democratic. Um, it, it should be a, free, a truly free market. I think that's the best way to. Um, to have the best healthcare, in this but country. with healthcare, doesn't it come with people with pre-existing conditions? They can't get accepted. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Oh my god. Okay. So pre-existing. Ray, would you like to add anything before we continue to that? No. Go for it. Before Obamacare, it's not like a person who didn't have money couldn't get treated. An ER couldn't turn a person away. There was Medicare. There was Medicaid. Um, there are options. Then in that 8 million group of people who have pre-existing conditions, there's a huge group of people who are under 26. Why in the world should someone who's capable under 26 be on their parents' insurance? I had an, an, an analyst who worked for me who was 24 and the company wanted to save money, so they hired her as a contractor, which means she doesn't get benefits. And when I had a conversation with her and I said, you know, you should fight for a full-time role to get benefits, she said, it doesn't matter. Because of Obamacare, I have insurance through my opinion. Now, what does that essentially mean? It means I'm paying more so that she gets insurance. And it means the company will take advantage of this because they don't have to pay her insurance. 
And 26 is such an arbitrary number. Why not 21? Why not 35? You know, like people who are capable of earning a living and of paying their own bills should be capable of taking care of their own healthcare expenses. And what about the percentage of people who are? I, I, I think, I think, I think insurance companies, listen, the way insurance companies work now is, is based on risk. So if, if they assume you're going to cost them the same way a car insurance company, if, if they assume you're a reckless driver and you're going to cost them much more through the accidents you have, they're going to charge you more per month. If you look at healthcare mathematically, if someone has a pre-existing condition and is likely to end up in the hospital seven more times in the next five years, it's going to cost you much more money. So the reality is that if you have a pre-existing condition, it costs a lot. But that doesn't mean that it's a problem for the government to solve. Number one, there are charities. People should contribute. Number two, hospitals have huge nonprofit sections as well where they provide, um, where they provide health care. I've been to an ER. After that, they asked me to donate. And those donations go to people who can't pay for their own services. I think there are ways to solve that um, that aren't governmental. I solution that should be from the top bottom. Frankly, I think the solution would be much better. It's, it's from the bottom down. And I think deregulate, deregulate, deregulate. Okay, Ray, the floor is yours. Uh, when it comes to healthcare in particular, um, I, I'm probably just, uh, I may be a rarity uh, in that my point of view, but it basically boils down to if there is a complete stranger that could be benefited from my tax money uh, healthcare wise to make them happy, to bring them, uh, bring them to where they're a productive member of society, I'm willing to pay anything. Uh, I am willing to let anybody take any amount of money to make sure the people that are surrounding me are healthy and are happy. Uh, I understand where some folks may not want to do that. And uh, as of right now, the, the laws lean that way. Um, can, I ask, can I stop you to ask you a hypothetical question based on what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, let's, so let's say... 5% of your taxes go to the essential services we discussed, from the military to the police to the law. Um, let's say the next 20% of your taxes go to healthcare so that people who, are, who have underlying conditions should be insured. And let's say that amounts to $20,000 a year. So let's say we take those $20,000 and 10,000 of it will go to regulators 5,000 of it will go to enforcers and then only 5,000 of it will go to the actual people who need it. What if I tell you, here's $20,000. You want to help sick, sick people take this money and help go to the hospital directly and donate it. Go to someone, you know, go to an organization that we're people with, um, with uh, these conditions sign up and donate the money to them. What do you think is a better use of your money? Where do you think your money will be utilized to help more people? The uh, first of all, reforming that system so that the vast majority of the, of the money goes towards those people that need it, as opposed to those regulators, then I would lean towards that 
but it would require a complete overhaul of the healthcare system that it is right now. Would I personally take that 20000 and give it to people in need? Absolutely. Do I feel like the majority of Americans would as well? Yes, I do. But uh, there, uh, since there are no guarantees and I still want to uh, value the human life, I am willing to, with the system that the way that it is right now, I'm willing to work with it. But I'm also willing to re- uh, go in and work on that system to fix it as well. Let me ask you one more question. Mm-hmm. At which point, and let's do percentage-wise, because I don't know what your salary is and what your income is. Um, at which point, percentage-wise, would you say this? And let's say, let's say we're talking about it being because of healthcare, but it's a portion of your salary. At which point would you say this is too much? I'm not. I'm not going to keep on going to work. At which percentage point? For me, I'm going to say where it is right now, which is about 36 to 40%, I'm perfectly comfortable with. However, how that is distributed um, with that 30 to 40, 36 to 40% of my income, I would lean more, the, more towards the internal factors of the United States, healthcare and education, uh, and give less towards building another aircraft carrier or another missile. Uh, I think we as an American uh, nation, as, as a nation, need to focus more on spending internally on infrastructure, which includes uh, a robust healthcare system, more than we need to do to uh, buy a big expensive toy to go float in uh, in the water and land another uh, expensive fancy jet on it. Because right now, as things stand, maintaining all that, what we currently have, which is larger than the next 10 nations combined, it's plenty. We don't need any more there. Okay, so just, let's just stop. I'm going to focus in on healthcare and not go to the military because I want to get this one home. So let's say at 40 yeah. you say more than 45%. You use enough system if you if you do a problem so uh, i'm just trying to make sure i understand ray correctly so ray is saying what i pay now which is around 45 percent is the limit of what i'm willing to pay so that everyone gets health care wound up being higher i would not be as happy that's true uh but absolutely 36 to 40 percent when bernie sanders stands on the stage and he says yes to pay for free medicare for all free we're going to have to take 60% of your salary, but then healthcare will be free. Are you going to fork that over? The, the the thing is, is I've actually studied Bernie's plan very closely, and there would be no change in how everything currently is for anybody making $400,000 or less at a year's time. Absolute lie. I've also looked at it, and Biden, who's also made those promises, mathematically, the numbers do not add up. People at 100000 and and that number will keep on climbing because the expenses, if you look at everything that the government has taken over versus what has been taken over by the private sector, over time, what has the private sector has taken over has become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper per unit. But what the government sector has taken over has become more and more expensive per unit. That goes for education and that goes for certain parts of healthcare. And if you give healthcare entirely over to the government, the expenses will just keep on growing and they will just need more money and they will keep on taxing. And there's no way for the middle class to ex- to to escape a gain in taxes. That is an absolute lie that they are running on. And the reason people are um, are are voting for it because they're like, oh, the rich people who I don't know and I'll never be one of them 
they're going to pay for it. It's not going to come out of my paycheck. Wake up, wake up. Like, yes, it is. This socialism 101, I've, I've seen it in reality. In, in Take a country like Sweden that everyone says democratic socialism, not real socialism. That's the type of socialism we're going for. Anyone making $70,000 or more per year per family, not one person, pays 60% in taxes. Those are the numbers. I mean, I I'm happy to, to do the math with you. I went to business school, but like the, the reality is nothing is free. And when you hear someone saying something is going to be free, run in the other direction. It's a lesson I learned in my life. I understand, but I think it really boils down to those allocation of resources. It, uh, if the money is allocated, if you don't change where the money is allocated, it will have to cost more. However, if you draw from the other programs, primarily the military, it can be done. How about addressing the fact that when there's no free market, the, the cost goes up per unit, that part? Even if you do find the money, but the fact that the industry becomes more expensive and needs more money. The, it all depends on, boils down to the, the fact that who is negotiating those prices. I mean, it, it is, uh, I'm not, I'll, I'll be honest with you here, we're kind of do, going into territory that I'm not as uh, familiar on as most folks. And But what I do understand is that if you have people that are willing to negotiate those prices down, uh, even in a government-controlled environment, if you have people that are working in the fa best faith of the people below them, the people that uh, their government serves, if they are in there negotiating for the best price possible, you can keep the costs down and you can keep the per unit costs down. Uh, so let's wrap this up. Ray, is there anything you'd like to uh, say in conclusion of or... You know, if anyone was listening and they still are undecided even after the election, you know, pull it in, bring some more fire to the table. When uh, when we're looking forward, the, there's there's still a lot of work to be done on both sides. Uh, it, it does. It, this election by itself doesn't decide anything. Uh, what does decide is what we as individuals working within groups, working within states, working within the nation, uh, work towards to improve it. Uh, we can all disagree on how we get there, but as long as we're both, we are all making progress on trying to get there, then we are going to improve as a nation. Uh, invention is uh, invention is the mother of, I'm sorry, necessity is the mother of invention. And right now, the necessity is we have a ton of work to do. And there, there are going to be ways over the next 10, 15 years that are different than what we're doing right now on how to achieve those. And we need to be researching those and finding those. And... I honestly uh, don't have anything more than just encouraging words of, uh, I think when we have a program like this where people can come and sit down and exchange those concerns and do it in a friendly manner, uh, it's been very civil, I'm very happy about that, then uh, we are going to, uh, if we get more programs like this and we get more people thinking in these terms where they're able to bring this, the very good statistics and sit down and actually hash out directions forward. We as a nation, no matter who is controlling which office and which party, 
uh, it's going to improve. And that's uh, the beautiful thing about us as the United States of America is that uh, we can disagree. We can work together at the same time. Ask any parting words. I was, I was even going for the parting words before you uh, <laughs> uh, prompted me. First of all, this has been, I think, a very productive and interesting conversation. Ray, I thank you so much for having it. Uh, Freddy, I, I thank you so much for hosting it. Um, I, I've been what I call a closet Trump supporter because I have been afraid to come out. Um, and just when I started realizing how far left the left is going, did I decide to speak out? And it, and it has had a cost. I mean, I've had people unfollow me, leave family chats, stop talking to me. And that's difficult. I, I don't want uh, my political opinions affecting my personal relationships. And I think conversations like this are so healthy and so productive. And I thank you for having it. I don't think, uh, I, I think I, my wish is that more people from different parts of the aisle would be willing to come and have conversations, uh, even they're, if they're willing to agree to disagree. Um, to recap sort of what we spoke about, so in terms of the elections, as an American who's been an American from birth, this is the first time I voted just because I never felt that elections had enough of an impact on my life to vote before. And I voted this time. But if I don't trust that this election is fair, trust me, I will never, ever vote again. <laughs> and I want to ensure that Americans feel that their voice matters and their, and their vote will make a difference in the future. And it's important to see um, this, this, this through. And then the final thing I will leave you with is that this country, and as someone who has lived abroad, I've lived in Russia, in Israel, in England, uh, and in America, and this is one of the greatest countries in the world because of three things, because of freedom, liberty, and opportunity. And if you feel an infringement on any one of, of those things, then be careful because these are values worth holding on to. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Esti. I hope anyone listening gained something valuable out of this. And I... If there's anything, I feel like we definitely brought a voice to both sides. I feel like no one is bleeding, no one is crying, and um, that's a success because we are in a very polarized, at least online, it feels like that with COVID, we don't get to spend so much in-person time anymore. Um, and, and yes, thanks to platforms like podcasts, there is space for real voices, for real you know, regular people like you and and you and me to be to express ourselves. And yes, we do have the freedom to express that. And we're allowed to say what we think and we're allowed to vote and our vote does count. And either way, whatever the election, um, when it does close and it's called, um, America will survive whatever either side feels may be a threat. Or not. Uh, or not. Um, no, but I think America is strong enough to, to, you know, either way, keep us together, get us through the next four years. And um, maybe we'll do this again in four years. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this and you'd like to talk about it and discuss it, download the Schmoozy app and use the link in the show notes to join my forum so we could all talk about the episodes. 
Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.